Hello and welcome to episode 51 of A Positive Podcast. Today's podcast is powered by okclarity.com and more about that later in the show. If you would like to sponsor an episode in honor of a loved one or celebrate an upcoming special occasion or just because you appreciate what we're doing here, please reach out on my website, apositivecoach.com or email me at razel at jewishpeabody.com. In addition, if you're curious to hear more about positive psychology-based life coaching and to see if it's a fit for you, you can reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com to set up your free consultation today. In addition, if you could take a moment and leave a rating and a review on our podcast, we would be very appreciative as it helps others be able to find our podcast easier. It only takes a minute, but it is very effective. In today's episode, I sit down again with Yochanan Palter of Fresh Start. Two years ago, Yochanan and I had a conversation on a very important topic, one that I had not heard previously, entitled HSPs, or Highly Sensitive People. This episode has been the most downloaded episode to date, and it has really helped many people in many different ways. And I'm very thankful to Yochanan for being willing to join me again for a follow-up episode. I know that I learned a few things in this conversation, and I know that you will learn a few things as well. So thanks for listening. Sit back, relax, and be ready to grow. Welcome, welcome to Yochanan Palter. To date, our most popular, most listened to, most downloaded podcast episode, the most feedback I get is the episode that we did together on the topic of highly sensitive people or HSPs. If for some reason you haven't yet listened to that podcast and you're listening to this one today, I highly encourage you to go back, check it out. It's going to be linked into the show notes as well. You know, Yechanan, I have received so many messages and so many emails sharing how insightful and helpful this episode has been. The most important thing that people have walked away with is the awareness piece. You know, an awareness that there is such a thing as a HSP, that we can make accommodations for our children or our loved ones that are sensitive to help them, to nurture them. And I think something really magical has happened because of this conversation. I mean, for many people, this is the first time in their lives that they felt understood, they felt seen. They understood why it is they struggle with what they struggle with. I think people that are married to HSPs understand their spouses, they understand their children better. Why do you think this episode or this topic specifically on HSPs, why, why do you think it's resonating with so many people? Well, hi, Razel. Nice to catch up again. I think it's a two, about a two-year anniversary since we did our uh, original yeah. podcast. I don't think uh, when you and I did it, we expected the overall positive impact it would have on families and children. So Baruch Hashem for that. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting is that I'm, I, I think a lot of what we discussed then, we're probably going to reiterate now. I am coming at it from a slightly different perspective though. Um, as you know, a couple of years ago, we opened our from retreat center, trauma retreat center for, um, the Orthodox community that's dealing with um, childhood, unresolved childhood trauma-related issues. Um, and to date, Baruch Hashem, we've had over 200 people from eight countries 
go through it. And one of the things that we educate people about when they're in our program is this topic of highly sensitive people. Not surprising, 90 to 95% of our participants that come are also highly sensitive. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of what I might share here is sort of coming with that perspective, um, seeing the impact that this awareness has had on adults, um, people being able to go back and to understand their children. Um, you know, the world, I, I think I said, may have said some of this in the last podcast, so I'm going to apologize again. Um, and I also have to just do my disclaimer, Razel, is that okay? I'm not yeah, a doctor, I'm not a professional. Yes. I'm no, simply I think... talking from experience, um, yes. both as someone who works in the field now with Fresh Start, as well as a parent, and as well as Razel, as you said, many families have reached out both to you, to me. Um, so I'm just giving my my thoughts and my feedback on what I'm what I'm seeing. Um so you know, the, the population, at least according to Dr. Elaine Aaron, is it's 80, 20. 20% of the population is qualifies as highly sensitive, 80% doesn't. I, I think in Klal we're known as Shanim, Rahmanim, and Gomle Chasadim, which are all three attributes that uh are applicable to uh highly sensitive people. And I think um I think in our community the numbers are are much higher. Now is probably, by the way, a good time. Let's just reiterate for those that are listening the first time. What we are discussing is the concept of HSP, highly sensitive people. Uh, a book by Dr. Elaine Aaron really describes it. And it's essentially that certain people, the population, have a much greater and in tuned senses, if you will, sight, sound, smell, touch, taste. Um, and essentially their brains or our brains, because I'm a highly sensitive person myself, um, our brains process a lot more information. So when we walk into a room, um, our antennas, if you will, are just a lot more on alert. And therefore we see more things, we feel more things. Um, and it also adds to a level of exhaustion because your brain is essentially processing more information than you know a non-highly sensitive person so that's the breakdown um you know it's a, going back to your question of you know why why do i think it resonates um yeah. or why it's i i think it's in my humble opinion i think it's been one of the many missing pieces um there's no doubt that in today's world our children are encountering a different world, but I think they're also reacting to the world differently. And hopefully these are continued signs of Zamani Mashiach. Um, but certainly that children are more sensitive, they're more aware, they're more allergic to hypocrisy. Um, and we're all seeking answers. And I don't know that there's a parent today that's is not concerned or worried or dealing with a child that's going through some level of a journey. And, and I have found that in many, many of these situations, this concept and this awareness of understanding that your child sees things differently, feels things differently, understands things differently, um, 
is a very powerful tool that has allowed parents to view their children not as bad and not even as different, but arguably as, as special because usually highly sensitive children come with a whole host of very many positive attributes. And um, I, I, I just think it's, it's the world we live in. And as I think I mentioned this, you know, uh, having, this is not a label. This is not a negative um, uh, characteristics or anything like that. It's simply a fact that certain people are given certain kaisas and used appropriately. They can change the world and they can impact. And again, we've all seen that. And I think, Mr. Schusterman, you have children and, you know, we all see that the power of the highly sensitive child. Um, and when it's not managed appropriately, it has some pretty devastating results as well. So I think it, I think it resonates because it's hopeful and it, it answers a lot of confusing questions that I think many of us adults and parents have. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot for a lot of people, it's a very different way of looking at the world. Whereas when we were children or even as adults, um, we were told, stop being so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? And all of a sudden it's like, wait, you know, in a world that actually we're learning that vulnerability is where we connect with people when we're vulnerable. And we're learning so much more about actually these, these feelings, these attributes are actually, these are actually things that you can get to work for you. You can actually make these things work for you somehow. And I think that's, like you said, it's very hopeful. I think that's the yes, and piece. And, and on, you know, unfortunately, um, as was, uh, you know, we work with uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk on our team and we oftentimes, um, bring up the fact that the Jewish community went through the Holocaust, but he reminds us that uh, we've pretty much been in trauma mode for 3,000 years. Um, and the truth is that up until this time, um, the Orthodox, I mean, the Jewish world, I should say, has been through a lot, and our parents and grandparents certainly haven't come through the Holocaust. Uh, feelings were a very, very difficult thing to deal with. And, you know, if you, if you felt it meant, it meant you had to feel yes. everything that that generation went through. And even people born in America, the great depression, there's just been, there's been a big risk to having feelings. But the fact is the Abishter gave it to us. Um, obviously in the Pacific world, feelings and emotions are an integral part of what we learn about. So the Abishter gave it to us, but up until now, I think it's been um, it's been fret with uh, uh, challenges that if we feel something, our whole world's going to fall apart. Today, Baruch Hashem, we live in a world where the physical safety is certainly better than it was 50, 60 years ago. And um, like I said, I keep going back. I think this is Zmane Mashiach, really feeling and connecting. Um you know, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, says it all by Dr. Van der Kolk, that our bodies hold on to a lot of what we feel. We've shut that down. Uh, but hopefully that's changing in our community, in our world, and people are finding healing by being authentic, being vulnerable, and accepting these parts of themselves that they previously shut down. Yeah. One of the things that I really wanted to discuss today was that the question that I keep getting from a lot of people and I myself have, 
because after your podcast episode, I started to understand people in my life better, like my children and friends and families. And I started to understand, okay, these are HSPs. This is what's happening here. And I was even, even able to explain to some of my children that they were actually gave, it gave them context. It helped them understand themselves better. It helped me parent them better. I read all the books that I could. I'd listened to podcasts. There's so many podcasts on this topic. The one thing that I kept feeling that I wanted to hear more about was I felt like there was a lot of explanation of the description of what an HSP is or how it looks or how that plays out in life. But I didn't have enough or I want more and people feel the same way. So what do I do about it now? Where to from here? Now that I know that my seven-year-old is an HSP, do I make them wear their uniform or do I go into school and talk to the school about having some kind of accommodations made? Well, now they're, you know, and I've even heard from people that have told me, like, I parent my children differently now because of HSP, because I now know this information. So the question is, I want to hear more. And if you could help me understand this a little bit deeper. So now that we know that our child's an HSP or that we are an HSP, whatever it is, we're two from here. What is the most important thing that we need to keep in mind or how to navigate this? So I, 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 I want to make sure we we focus more on the um, on the highly sensitive part. I, I don't um, want to consider myself a chinuch expert, so I want to try and navigate this question appropriately. I, I think the number one thing which you mentioned and I have found, and I think other people have found, is number one is it's understanding. Yadiyah samachla is chatsiyarafua. And in English, that translates as understanding the disease is half the cure. Um, and again, this is not a disease. I'm just using that in, in reference. Understanding who we are is a huge part of it. Explaining our children that they're not crazy, that their feelings are valid, that they take things more personal, that they're more sensitive to pain and giving them that space. You know, again, I'm going to tie in a little bit of my work in the trauma world today. Trauma is not actually caused by events. Trauma is caused by lack of safety after an event happens. So if a child goes through a difficult or challenging experience or scary experience, but they have a place to come to and be authentic and be vulnerable and feel safe and secure, namely by their major caregivers, their parents, they are able to actually go through that negative experience and not only not impact them negatively, it actually creates resiliency in a child. Um, so in terms of coddling a child and, you know, Cutting out the uniform here, you know, we want to make sure that we don't get into helicoptering also. And again, there's a fine balance. Um, but I think number one is the parent understanding that this child has a unique way of feeling the world and living in the world is critical. And the child themselves understanding that they're not crazy. Now, I would encourage you, if people haven't listened, we did a podcast with Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson and Dr. Stuart Avlon. Um, I don't know if you watched that, Razel, um, but it's it's a fantastic podcast on how to how to work in general and how to 
navigate challenges with children, period. Um, so I think that again here, do you necessarily go to the school? I mean, obviously, if it's push it painful, if there's physical, you bring up a uniform. If a child is push it allergic, if you will, to certain fabrics, I I I think that's Sarvalichayim. I think yes, you not only is it Sarvalichayim to have your child wear a fabric that is literally physically uncomfortable. Um, I also don't think they're going to function that well in school. So why would we send our children to school in an environment that we know they're already uncomfortable in? Um, but understanding to what degree they're uncomfortable, and the fabric is a is a unique situation um, because that's like a physical experience that they feel. Um, but I think in other environments, it's awareness. It's working with Dr. Ablon's method of how do you negotiate and figure out, okay, so what can we do about it now? What are our options? And understanding really what's bothering the child and the hall when it comes to children and adults and partners and spouses, um, just listening to them and understanding them in an authentic way and being present with them manages to solve problems very, very often. Uh, they tend to already resolve themselves on their own. Um, but other examples, I think it's a matter of discussing with the child, explaining to them that they're more sensitive, understanding where they can, because again, they're going to live in a world that's not highly sensitive. So just protecting them and taking them away from every environment that's going to overwhelm them is also not healthy. Um, so again, I'm not, I know I'm not giving you an answer direct because it's well, no, but you but you are. You're saying it's very nuanced. It's very specific to each each case and each you know each example. Um, yes, I did listen to that podcast. I listened to all the podcasts that come out from Fresh Start. They're all fascinating. Um, I actually did an, another podcast episode with somebody. I forget her name at this moment, but maybe it was no, I, I can't remember from Chicago. Yes, you gave yes, me the conversation. Yes, I connected with yes, you. Yes, and right, we talked. Right. We talked about, it and she it was Correct. a really great podcast with examples of how to do this, um, this kind of style of parenting. And it's really about working together with the child, and it's 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 very I effective. Think, and I, I've actually I think that's what it is. And and you know, yeah. Dr. Avlon's main line on this whole thing is children will succeed if they can. Yeah, and I think it's I think that applies everywhere. So it's a matter of understanding and really being there with your child and figuring out what we can do or what we can't do, um, and getting creative. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to take a quick break here for a message from our sponsor, okclarity.com. Okclarity.com is the place for any Jew, no matter how religious you are, to find a top-notch therapist, psychiatrist, coach, or nutritionist. And it's completely free. And their professionals are vetted, and they have extensive experience working within the Jewish community. So if you're in the market for a therapist or coach, check them out at okclarity.com. If you yourself are a provider and you're looking to list yourself, check out okclarity.com. I know that I've been recently listed, listed as a coach on OK Clarity as well. Also, if you're interested, OK Clarity has an amazing WhatsApp status or group with thousands of followers and their whatsapp is a free way to improve your mental health and they post great humor so you're going to laugh too so if you have whatsapp shoot them a message and you can be added as well it's in my show notes as well so check out okclarity.com you know that you won't regret it right 
So that actually leads to my next question. In the past two years since this episode, um, people have shared that they've made adjustments, that they make accommodations. But what I'm hearing is that some parents have moved over to permissive parenting in some cases. Like some parents, I spoke to somebody recently, they told me that, you know, their child's sort of older out of high school already and they're not doing anything They're you know, and, and the, the excuse was, I'm like, well, well, does your child, is your child in a, in a, you know, dangerous state? Are they suicidal? Are they doing drugs? Are they, no, no, no. I said, so why don't you encourage this child to, or this adult child to, you know, get a job or, well, they don't really want to. And when I bring it up, it's, you know, they're an HSP. So I want to be very like careful about it. And at the same time, I'm like, I understand that. And I hear this. And at the same time, what comes up for me is where is that balance? Like there's a fine line between, between being a gentle parent and helping make accommodations for the child. Cause you want to encourage your child. Like you said, you know, they're going to be in the world. Eventually they're going to have to figure out how to work within this world and helping them is not sheltering, but rather really helping them integrate into the world and validating their feelings, explaining, yes, it's hard for you to go to school. I know that you find it so hard. Here's what we could do to make it better. Here's what we could do to make it easier. Some days you're going to come home earlier. Sunday, you don't have to go to school here and there, like doing what you can here and there. But at the same time, I feel like many people have kind of lost their ability to recognize and create healthy boundaries around their HSP because they're like so afraid to kind of, uh, and I know that every scenario is different. I guess my question is, is what does it look like in the long term if we're if we're making accommodations for this child? How how are they going to eventually integrate into this world? What is that going to look like? Um. So the you you brought up a pretty extreme example there. Yes. I I would imagine that if you have a young adult at home that is unable to get into the outside world there's a lot more going on there that has nothing to do with hsp so let's clear that up right here right now well there is um, a term called failure to launch that we see we're seeing a lot of a lot of people have that uh, child who is failing <laughs> to launch into adulthood right but that's uh, but that's outside of the highly sensitive you can have a highly sensitive person and not highly sensitive person that is that right. is uh that's struggling so what i'm saying is that failure to launch is pro has a lot more to has to do with other things going on in that child's life anxiety maybe depression right. um other things that need to be looked into what i can say is and i think we've mentioned this and the books talk about it is that highly sensitive people are very creative, quite motivated, very talented. They possess leadership qualities. Um, and I, if you have a highly sensitive child that is 19, 20, and at home that is having a failure to launch, it has nothing to do with them being highly sensitive and probably a lot to do with other unresolved issues of fear and anxiety um, that show up in their life. Um, highly sensitive children are also typically, like I said, highly motivated. Um, so. Do you see that go hand in hand? I mean, is that, is that something that you say, like most highly sensitive people are highly motivated to do well or to yeah, I mean, make I think money I, or to. I mean, I mentioned it, I mentioned it 
you know, I don't know if you did you read the book? I mean, we did that other follow-up, the dandelions yeah. versus orchids. Yeah. So Dr. Yeah. Thomas Bryson there discusses how he studied a group of people, the highly sensitive people. Again, the healthy ones ended up succeeding incredibly in whatever area of their life, arguably more so than non-highly sensitive people. So um I I and and I think, you know, going back to our program, Fresh Start, so many of the people that have gone through a tremendous amount of challenges and adversity in their childhood, they're strong-willed, they're fighters, um, and they accomplish and they do. So like I said, if a, if a highly sensitive adult, children will succeed if they can, adults will succeed if they can. If a child or a teenager or a young adult is at home, and he's not producing, there's a much greater issue. And it doesn't have anything to do with highly sensitivity. It has to do with most likely other fears and anxieties and conceptions of himself and, you know, what he is or isn't capable of, which is really more, you know, therapy-based and and working through working through those issues, not uh not highly sensitive. What what would you tell a parent? that has a child that's failing to launch or, you know, may have started as, as a HSP, but is so stuck in their own trauma and their own pain. And it's just not able to, to, to do that. What would, what would your suggestion recommendation be to those kind of parents? So now are you, you know, we did another podcast, if you remember, or you did another <laughs> podcast um, with my daughter. Yes, which absolutely. Was a, which was another journey. Um, we can, continue to report that Baruch Hashem, she continues to thrive and is really in her own uh, in her own world in a positive way in school, working, educating herself, uh, writing music, um, connecting to Hashem. I mean, really just continuing to thrive. So, you know, again, it sounds like you're describing a child in pain um, and that's a slightly different conversation happy right. to happy to go there if you'd like right. um but when children when children again we have to go in with the premise and whoever's watching this if if you don't accept the premise that children will succeed if they can then i i don't have any answers um i'm out of ideas but if we do accept the premise that we were created we have a tough kid in this world, and the Avishter gave us the tools, the kaychus, the talents, the skills to accomplish our tough kid in this world, and we are not, then there's something blocking. Right. So rather than coming at it from the approach, I need to force my kid, no, God gave us the talents, the skills, the environment, the ability, and if we're not living up to that because every human wants to accomplish. We're not living up to that rather than saying, I need to shove this kid into something. It's really a matter of stepping back and saying, okay, what's blocking? What is getting in the way of this child accomplishing? And yes, with highly sensitive people, there might be an extra layer of, they might be carrying a little more pain from their childhood. They might be carrying a little more trauma from their childhood. Um, but rather than viewing it as I got to get them to do something, let's change the the viewpoint to 
what's getting in their way of accomplishing what they were meant to accomplish. So another question. Since we had this episode together, people have reached out, lots and lots of people. I know I get lots of emails and requests for your phone number. You've been very kind to help people. I know that it's limited and you're not able to help everyone. My question is, is what do you think is the most common question? What would be the most common question that you've received from parents? Um, so usually the calls that I get are beyond highly sensitive. They're usually challenging situations. Um, as we call in the space, as Avi Fischoff coined, KIPS, Kids in Pain. Um, so it's usually a, a broader discussion. Um, and, and, uh, at that point, it is my experience and humble opinion that when a kid is already in a certain matzo where they're really struggling, that there's a process they need to go through. There's a process of healing that they need to go through. And it's oftentimes, I know again, from our podcast that we did with our daughter, that um, it's hard to watch and see a child fall apart. But the truth is that that is part of the healing journey for the child. Um, their ability to, be, to let go of the past and some of the pain, and really for us, the parents, to be, to give them that space. Um, again, I I guess it's okay if I reiterate, but you know, so many times as parents, what we're trying to do is hold our children from falling. Um, and I can tell you now with my work at Fresh Start is that when a child has to go through a process of rebirthing themselves, um, they either do it at 17, 18, or they do it at 35, 40, 50, 60, 70 as we've seen in our program. So rather than exerting so much effort on keeping our children from collapsing, if and I'm not saying this for every child, I'm saying this for the kids that are already going through a, where we all know they're going through a journey, if we can create a safety net for them, for lack of a better word, to crash, but they do it in a safe environment with us, their parents at their side, supporting them and being there with them and helping them through that journey. Um, Rabbi Russell always mentions that, you know, it's so much easier when children go through this journey at 15, 16, 17, than it is at 35, 40, 45. Um, but our nature is we're scared and we're scared and petrified of what it's going to look like. Um, but if we can allow them, and that's essentially the main question that I usually get, and yes, this has to do with highly sensitive children, but there are children that are struggling that are at risk that aren't highly sensitive. I think majority of the ones that are struggling are highly sensitive. Um, but um, it's it's really once they pass a certain point, and obviously every situation is different, it's really creating a safety net where they get that attachment, that secure attachment, that love, and they get it at home versus having to go out and find it in other typically unhealthy places. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that that's a true point in general 
letting our children fall. I think we've become so focused on keeping our children happy and giving them everything that they want, getting them into every camp or every school. And I understand that we want our children to do well. At the same time, allowing them to have disappointments in their life, natural disappointments, and not trying to happy them up is such right. an important and piece. A, and that's sort of what I said earlier. Um, a negative experience only can can actually is what creates resiliency in children. So yeah. creating an environment where everything is okay is is it's unfair to our child. Obviously, we don't want to sit there and abuse them. Um, the world throws its own challenges and curveballs to all of us. Um, but certainly creating healthy boundaries for them. And even, you know, but again, you mentioned camp or certain things. There's, they're saying, telling your kid, hey, you're not going to camp. It's done. I can't afford it. And then there's telling your child, I totally understand that you want to go to camp. And a little bit of that I'm, I'm with you in this pain. But mommy and I or Tati and I just feel that it's it's not the right thing for you this year. And I understand you're going to be upset, and that's okay to be upset. Um, obviously, you can't throw a tantrum and destroy the whole home, but allowing them to be disappointed in a safe place, and then you move on. So you could the same experience can be one that creates resiliency in the child or one that creates trauma. In the child. It's how, it's how it's how you are with them exactly like you said if you're able it's to you them. validate right. them and be there with them then they can they they're right. able to navigate them better but at the same point i think that parents need to remember just because you have all the money in the world or just because you have all the resources it's not helping your child to just give them a soft constant environment we have to it's not like i'm saying that we need to god forbid make it hard for our children right but they but that that's what builds resiliency is Absolutely. being able to navigate resi- challenges and yes. how we can navigate yes, but let's, it. Yes, but let's make it very clear again. Resiliency is not built by telling your child no. Right. Oh, okay. It's not like about, I have to say no enough times. It's not that. Right. Right. More resiliency than, more than, is right. resiliency is by being with your child, understanding that they have a certain desire, let's say, or understanding that they had, you know, that could even be a kid comes home from school and, you know, they were bullied and i know this is a loaded conversation so i want to be careful how i say this they they had a negative experience with a friend you know what we could do is we could pick up the parent pick up the phone call the parent of the other child make this whole ta-da-dum. or or we could be with our child and understand that it was an uncomfortable painful experience allow them to vent allow them to be sad uh, but be with them and give them the space. That's essentially what it is. Give them the space to feel that emotion, to feel that negative emotion. And then the way the Avishter made the world, you know, we have pain for a reason. We have tears for a reason. And it's actually therapeutic and healing if we allow them to feel that emotion. I understand you're hurt by what, you know, Donnie right. said to you. Um and giving them the space versus jumping on the phone and protecting them and making sure that no one is ever going to say a nasty comment to them again. Uh, yes, of course, we're not doing them any favors by that because the world doesn't function that way. I would also add that I think that that comes from our own inability to to witness our children's pain. 
like that need to come in and fix it or that need to like happy them up or that need to say, don't, don't, don't worry. We're going to, you, you can't, you didn't get into that, but we're going to buy you this or you're going to get you this. You hit, you hit That's the nail just on the head. Really, it's really our own discomfort at being with our children in their a, discomfort. It's, it's the it's hardest not, thing. It's, it's our own discomfort with being and being with our own emotions. Exactly. With our own right. feelings. With right. our own our feelings. Own fe so anytime. We, 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 and that's because of the way we were raised. Also, we we were raised by yeah. an environment that told us we shouldn't feel our feelings. Again, that's like right. you said earlier, um, not feeling our feeling your feelings actually would have you wouldn't have survived seventy years ago if you were busy feeling your feelings. You wouldn't that's have made what we just said earlier. Correct. Right. And that and that's, so, that was so that's that was where a it defense came from. mechanism that was needed. Right. Seventy but years our, ago. Correct. But that's for us as adults, as parents, to understand that it's even deeper than that. I feel like we can actually model for our children this idea that we have our own disappointments, like actually have right, conversations so you, with our children about that. So you asked me a question two years ago on the podcast about Fresh Start um, because I, I pointed out that the real goal behind creating our program was that if we, the parents, can work on ourselves, we can go back home and make a change in our whole home. Family in our and life, always, yeah. You know, we have five people at a time in the, in our, at our retreats, and I always point out to people, there aren't five people in the room, there's 25 people in the room, because really? there's five or six kids, there's a spouse, there's a whole, there's a, there's a mini, there's several minyatum of people in the room. So you asked me a question two years ago, you said, um, so are you saying that every parent of a child at risk should come to Fresh Start? Did I and, say that? Uh, you did, you did. And okay. uh, we were we were relatively new, and I avoided answering that question. Um, but two years later, like I said, with several hundred people from all over the world, from every part of Klal Yisrael, the answer is yes. If, a, if you have a child that's struggling, if you, you have should a go deal with your own stuff. The best thing you can do for them is to find out who you are and work on your wounds. Um, like I said, most of these children are highly sensitive. And they pick up on your emotions. You can say whatever you want. They feel what's really going on. And they feel the resentfulness. So you could say, okay, honey, it's okay to be sad. But if you don't really feel that, and you don't really give them the space, and you're not really okay with that emotion, they're going to pick up on it. And it's it's not going to work. Um, wow. And and there's I, I, I joke, but it's true. Is that you can you can turn a slurpy experience with a 15-year-old at-risk kid into the most memorable uh experience and healing experience. And you can take a trip to Disney World with that same child and make it completely pointless. It has very little to do with the actions and 99% with the emotions. Um, so that's my answer. It took me two years to answer it. Well, I'm really glad because a long time. no, I think it's really good because at the time in my life, I don't think I was I was a Kaylee to hear that. So <laughs> I'm glad that I'm hearing it now because two years later, I'm I'm in a much in a different space as well, and um, I actually see that to be very true. And that, I, I um, again, and I'm seeing it from our alumni that go back home that are just the whole home is different. That and it's typically one parent that comes to our program once in a while. We have both, but. The whole home is a different environment. The mother goes back home and she's connecting with her child. She's giving them space. And all of a sudden, chaos and crises that were happening every Shabbos oh. or all the time are, are just, they're not there anymore. Everybody's, 
everybody's breathing a little easier. So it starts with us, even if we don't want to hear it. We all want to say it's our children. They're making us crazy. Look at them, their choices, the way they're living. We need to look at ourselves. It's so hard, but we must look at ourselves in the mirror and not be okay with what we see, but actually go and dig deeper. Okay, question. This is a question I received from somebody who actually um, responded to my Instagram account question on this topic. So she said that she herself is an HSP. She is now a wife, a mother, and she finds it very hard, or I should say too hard to manage her sensitive feelings and being a sensitive person. Um, so if somebody is practically, if somebody is an HSP and practically speaking, what can somebody do to help themselves? Like, the first thing that comes to mind when I read this is that she might need to actually go do some of her own work. But that, besides that, I'm saying, what can somebody who knows that they're an HSP, who's doing the work around it on the day-to-day -day life where smells, touch, kids touching you, um, being around you, on you, um, that you're sensitive and like even the crying, like I, I, the crying of a screaming child, a tantruming child for somebody who's highly sensitive is very triggering. So what can somebody do practically to help themselves navigate the sensitive and emotional feelings when life doesn't always allow us to be sensitive? Um, so what comes to mind is listening, you ever listen to Mitchell, don't put yourself in a situation where you know it'll you'll react negatively. Um, so I think number one is awareness, which we talked about. Um, number two is, is going through your day and figuring out, okay, what are things that I can change and making a list of, of, of 10 things, you know, as, as humans, we all have a finite amount of energy on a daily basis that we can use. So I always tell our participants that come to our program and let's use the word triggers that bring up a lot. The problem is not getting from a hundred triggers a day to zero. You know, we don't need, a, we were, we're capable of dealing with triggers and experiences and negative events on a daily basis. We're just not capable of dealing with the number of experiences that we're dealing with today. So if we can reduce that by 20%. Then all of a sudden turns out those other things so this caller or this person who wrote to you the question, we don't have, we're not going to be able to create an environment where she goes, lives in a forest and, you know, never interacts with the world. But I think, I don't think she needs that either. I think if she's able to reduce those experiences that are triggering her, so to speak, by 20, 25%, whatever that number is, then all of a sudden you have energy to deal with the other ones. So I think it's a matter of like, making a list almost and saying, okay, these are, these are things that, you know, trigger me. What can I do to change it? Obviously hugging a child is pretty important. So, you know, to say that I'm never going to hug my children again, I, I think that would, would be a, a, a risky proposition, but maybe there's other things that can be done. You know, one of the examples I, I, I say all the time is like, going to a chasana. For a highly sensitive person, going to a chasana could be a very overwhelming thing. There's people, there's emotions, there's noise, there's lights. It's just your brain is processing so much. So you tell yourself, I'm only capable of going for 45 minutes to this chasana. That is what, you know, I accept that that is 
a reality. If you do that and you do that in other areas of your life, then all of a sudden you'll have the resources and the energy to um, react and deal with the other challenges. So again, spices, smells, you change the things that you can, make a list of them. Um, that reminds me of the serenity prayer. I don't remember. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Thank you. Do I have What is it? You know, God, God grant me the wisdom to change the things I can, the wisdom to no, to change, no, to gosh, accept the things I, accept cannot, the things I change, cannot change and, and the, the wisdom, wisdom to know, know the difference. difference. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think you make a list. A highly sensitive person is capable of dealing with, you know, experiences that may not be as pleasant. It's just when we pile them up, there's a tipping point. There's a makavapatush that just brings the whole thing down. So go through your day and figure out, okay, these are, these are things I can do. And it's the same thing with children. You know, we can handle a lot. You know, why is it that, like, um, you have people, I mean, all of us do, right? We're, life is hectic. We're overwhelmed. We have a lot on our plate. And then we tend to take one thing off the plate, and all of a sudden, we feel so much better. I, we still have the other 99 things, because the other 99 things, we have the ability to manage. It's always those things that take us over the top. So rather than focusing on solving everything, and taking away all my triggers, and I'm never going to interact with my children, spices, clothing. I'm going to walk in the forest with no clothes, no smells, no sounds, no sights, nothing. That's not what we need as humans. What we just need to do is just remove that top whatever percentage that's just choking us, and then you'll find that you have the ability, you have the energy, you have the kayak to manage the other ones that may not be so comfortable. I think that's a fair answer. That's really, it's a good answer. So basically we have to really take a inventory of ourselves and really yeah. see what are we having a hard time with? What can we take away from this and what can we add and really make work? Um, and we can do this with our children too. Yeah. We can do this with our children. I mean, I, I said on the last podcast, you know, a kid comes home from school, they're overwhelmed about 50 different things. And we, as parents, we like, we're like, uh, you know, again, we get overwhelmed because it brings sure. up our own past and everything. But the truth is when you, and I have this with my children all the time, when you end up breaking it down, you realize that there's one test or one area in scholastic, you know, they have a lucha, they have math, they have science, they have this, everything's bad. And then when you ask questions and you're there authentically and you're not judging and they feel safe, turns out that the only area that they're really struggling in is math. And even with the math, it's only one equation in algebra that they're struggling with but that was the, the, the that was the top and that just took everything and then all of a sudden you're like oh you know what so why don't we go back to the teacher why don't we get you a tutor and then all of a sudden the halakha thing isn't so difficult the science thing the math thing and and that's typically how it is so whether it's with our children or ourselves i think when we acknowledge that um it it helps make space humans were created to thrive we were created to do, we were created to accomplish, and we have a lot of energy. We just have to know how to use it, you know, appropriately in the right places. That's very true. For someone who's married to an HSP, okay, a highly sensitive person, it can be difficult. It could be challenging, especially if they themselves are not. Actually, I think they're both even. It could be also challenging too. <clears throat> what do you think the, what do you think is the most important thing for a spouse to keep in mind or to remember 
that they can help, that will help them support their spouse who struggles with being very sensitive to, to a lot of things. Um, so again, I'm just like, I'm not a clinical expert. I'm not a marriage expert. Um, I can only share anecdotally what we've seen at, um, at Fresh Start. So the first thing is, is that if we don't know ourselves, there's no way our spouse can know us. So if you're a highly sensitive person, read the books, go through the process, understand who you are, and be okay with who you are. Accept who you are. If you don't accept yourself, your spouse is not going to accept you either. So that's number one. And, and embrace that part of you. Embrace that sensitive part. Don't get upset at yourself that you can't spend three hours in a hasana, you know, dancing the night away. Accept that your uh, being that Hashem gave you uh, is has certain strengths, has certain challenges. Accept it, embrace it. That's number one, because no one's going to embrace a part of you that you yourself don't embrace, and no one's going to love a part of you that no one else loves. Um, the other thing that I've seen, which again, I think we see with children, and I've seen it in spouses too, is that highly sensitive people definitely crave authenticity and a deeper emotional connection. Um, so talking about the weather or even talking about the kids, talking about what's for supper is probably going to get old pretty quickly. So if you are married to a highly sensitive person, they are most likely going to want to discuss more um, intimate, and I mean intimate, just deeper, more profound, more emotional uh, subjects than what we oftentimes end up talking about because the world is so hectic, which is carpools, food, shopping, about house activities, um, and lots of other stuff. Um, and again, it's the same, it's the same with our highly sensitive children, right? I mean, they always have like the most profound questions and they're always processing, you know, information and have deep insight. So highly sensitive adults are just older, highly sensitive children. So I think um, creating a space for them to have a more intimate, authentic connection um, is is important. Um, and then, again, the same thing that uh, is allergic to a highly sensitive child, which is hypocrisy. A highly sensitive adult, again, is no different. So if a spouse can make a point to be honest, be truthful, um, be sincere, um, those are very, very important things. Yes, a highly sensitive person tends to see the world a little more black and white. And that's certainly something that if you are highly sensitive, obviously working through that challenge, there is a element of gray in the world. Um, but if a spouse understands it and is able to respect that to the degree that they can, I think that can, I th again, that's what we've, I'm talking here from my uh, 
fresh start experience and and what we're seeing of people attending our program and learning this about themselves and understanding how it plays a role in their marriage and their parenting. I will also say, as we mentioned last time, Dr. Elaine Aaron does have a few books uh, in addition to her main one. She has uh, Parenting Highly Sensitive Children and another one that's called uh, HSP and in Love, uh, discussing about, you know, partners and, and um, I should say couples that are um, highly sensitive, both or one or the other, et cetera. So there are, there is more information on it. That's a good answer. That's helpful. I think also I would add to that is, I don't know, I don't know if I missed this, but there's an element of accepting, like, this is who your spouse is. This is Hashem sent you. There's a reason. There's something inside of you that's going to be, um, it's going to be bettered and you're going to become stronger and you're going to become a better person, a kinder person, a more sensitive person in a way where you lack that a little bit, you know, Hashem said this, this is the right person for you so that you end and, up. And Rachel, whatever, whatever we're saying about spouses is the same thing we say about children. That's you know, right. I, no, I for sure. This, Rabbi Russell says his birth about Tsar Giddel Banim. That's right. Tsar Giddel, the pain of our own growth, comma, Banim comes through our I'm children. Down. They bring out all the things, all the untapped wounds, and spouses will do the same thing. And like you said, it's an opportunity to grow. To and if grow we keep fighting grow. it, and if we keep fighting it, we're forgetting, we're, we're missing a memo, a letter from Hashem. Hashem's like, hello, do I have to send you another one that's also, okay, let's do this. We're going to send you another message. Try to well, hear I, it. Well, I will tell whoever is married to a highly sensitive person, I will tell you if your strategy is that of Yaakov Avinu when he met Esav, which is first gifts, then prayer, then war, um, that is going to fail with a highly sensitive person. A highly sensitive person is going to seek authenticity and connection and a deeper relationship till the end of their days. So you might as well stop fighting and um, figure out how do you use this to enhance your relationship, to enhance your marriage. Um, it's, it's only going to add a deeper dimension, which is what highly sensitive people tend to see and tend to do. So but like you said, and we keep repeating, Many of us are afraid to go deeper because we're holding on to so much that, you know, what happens if we open up? So I get it that it's scary, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Trying to fight it is going to be a losing proposition because highly sensitive people just seek the truth. They seek MS every time and they don't know anything else. That's true. Okay, so for my final question, I want to ask you, what is something that you thought you knew really well or you were definitely sure about with regard to HSP topic or children with HSP, adults, whatever, after your experience with your own child and working in Fresh Start and years, these, you know, years of how many years it's been, it's been a while, that you've actually maybe changed your opinion on or see differently? Um, so that's a good question. I, I... I can't think of something per se that was wrong. Um, I mean, I'm always, it's not that I'm always right. It's just that I'm always learning and sort of going with what the information provides. But what I would say is when I look back and I've watched that podcast a few times, um, I do chuckle to myself that 
while I thought I had a large uh, group of people that I interacted with to come to the thoughts or conclusions that I came to, it was relatively small. Um, but I think today, having seen the work and having had the tremendous chus of interacting with hundreds of people and hundreds of holy, holy neshamas who are striving and pushing despite tremendous challenges, I, I think I believe in the power of the highly sensitive person with a much greater conviction than I than I ever did. And I would encourage anybody, if you have a child, if you have a spouse, it's it is a the highly sensitive element is really a tremendous gift. It's a bracha. It has to obviously be managed. You know, there are certain neshamas that come into this world. I mean, we know the story of Rav Shimon Bar and the son of Elizabeth Rav Shimon, who came out of the, the Myra when they were hiding, and he wasn't able to, to handle this world. Um, highly sensitive people aren't like that, but certainly highly sensitive people are just have a unique element to them that can bring a tremendous beauty and strength and morality to the world. And we ourselves, in an ideal world, all of us would become more highly sensitive. We'd be, we'd pick up on other people's feelings more. We'd be more sensitive to pain and suffering, and we'd be more sensitive to beauty. You know, the Avishter gives us an amazingly beautiful world. We drive by, you guys live in a gorgeous area over there in Massachusetts. You know, there's trees everywhere and there's beautiful places. Um, being highly sensitive is a gift. And I've seen it now hundreds of times of the power of the strength, the creativity and the resiliency of highly sensitive people. So I think what I would say is going back to your initial question, I stand with much greater conviction in what I said on the first podcast um, and to really embrace that part of ourselves, that part of our child, that part of our spouse. I think it is the preparation for Mashiach. Um, I forgot the, the, the Pusik that comes to mind that we will, will feel godliness um, in the times of Mashiach. And obviously in order to feel godliness we have to be um we have to be sensitive to it we have to be able to feel it so i'm a strong proponent that this is a gift and it's uh, a matter of preparing the world for what is hopefully the coming of mashiach um i think is the pasuk everybody will see godliness that's just being highly sensitive. That's all it is, because there's godliness in the world today. and But not all of us see it, but certain people have the ability to see it and feel it. So embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. So what I'm hearing you say is that if people had hope before listening to this podcast, they should feel even more hope. There should be even more hope. And specifically, the two of us who both have children who are HSP and had experiences with our children, if you were to look back now, at both of our children where they are currently, even though they had struggling times and difficult, challenging, very challenging moments, they are both doing really well. Like you said, they're thriving. 
Yep. And they are they are and I and I would add and I would add more than that besides children. I've now had like I said, I've had those ghosts of seeing hundreds right. of people. Yes. And and when no, they I, I, when they understand that part of themselves. So even on yourself, you know, just yeah. HSPs are fighters. They're gonna right. they they're gonna, they really are. And they are motivated. Gonna, it's an interesting they're point. They're motivated and they're gonna they're gonna seek the truth to the to the end of time. Yeah. And so, so I think that like, we personally have really, you even more than me, but um, I feel like I'm in awe of my HSP because I feel like I'm inspired. I'm amazed by the resilience. I'm amazed by the ability to keep fighting, to keep choosing to fight and to, to do better and to better themselves and to excel. And I, I think that there's so much we can learn. I, I myself, is, I'm not an HSP. So for me, it's been an incredible journey to witness it and to, it's humbling. It really is humbling. Right. And I think, I think I said this last time on the podcast and I feel stronger than ever. You don't have to tell an HSP what to do. Just create the environment for them to thrive. Create that they the will space figure it out. for them. And they will, they will, they will always seek the truth and they will seek perfection and completion. And they always want to, they, they, I mean, everybody wants to do the right thing. Yeah, well, I would say that in general, people. we shouldn't tell our children ever what to do when they're when they're older. Let them give them a healthy environment and allow them to find it what it is that they can do well, what they can excel at, what they, what ticks children makes them tick. Children will succeed and if I, they can. I know I'm like a broken record player, but I got no choice. Children will succeed if they can, and again, adults if, will su succeed if they can, and adults will succeed if they can too. And if anybody listening to this podcast. If that's again, if that's not a model that you agree with or believe in, then um, you should probably not listen to Razel Schusterman's <laughs> podcast or Fresh Starts podcast. Because I don't think they're. We believe I don't think they're, don't think they're here. They're not listening. They're okay, not fine. listening to okay. this podcast. They're not here. Trust okay. me. The thousands of downloads and, and that are are not from people that don't um, buy right. into this. We, is, we believe yeah. in the human spirit and also known as the Chelik Elikami Mal Mamish. The peace of God that the you know uh, rests in every one of us, and um, that's always going to seek the truth. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Yechanan, for your time and for your sharing of your wisdom with all of us. And um, I really, truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you, Razel. I hope it's insightful, and uh, um, we'll talk again maybe in two years. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. <laughs>